Yes, let's uh, do that. Good morning, everybody. Um, This week has been um, kind of uh, a little bit hectic for us as a family. Moved in our uh, firstborn um, into his freshman year in college. So there is a piece of my heart all the way in Indiana. Um, I'm a little bit frazzled today, so if I cry, I'm sorry, okay? But also, our daughter, um, our second born, turned 16 on Friday. Um, So we're going to talk about pain and suffering today. <clears throat> that's that's half true. Okay, I'm just I'm just telling you. No, one of the um, one of the more difficult and yet rewarding pieces of pastoring is walking with people through some of the most difficult circumstances in their life. Uh, it's part of the job. It's part of the calling. Um, I it's anything from car accidents to job loss to to losing a child, and everything in between. I've, I've, I've walked with people um, through those types of things. And it's the craziest thing to me to watch people walk through those things, to deal with those things, and watch uh, some of you. And, and one of the reasons I can stand up here and say this is because some of you have done this. I've watched you do this. I watch their faith not only maintain through things like that. I watch their faith flourish. Watch their faith grow. It, it adds layers. It adds um, elements that weren't there before. In fact, I'd, I'd go so far as to say, you show me somebody who has really big faith, and more than likely, there's a part of their story that they didn't want to go through. <laughs> there's a part of their life. There's a part of their family. There's a part of their health. It's something, something about them that they didn't want to have to deal with. It was out of the blue, didn't sign up for this, you know, wouldn't wish it on anybody type of thing. But they went through it. They dealt with it, and, and you watch how they handle it. You listen to how they talk about it. Um, you, you listen to how they talk about God, even in the midst of it. And, and, and you just see God do something in a way that he couldn't any, any other way. It's a defining moment for them and their faith. Uh, we're going to call it sanctified surprises. There are these things, these moments that come into our life, And God uses those to grow our faith in ways that he couldn't any other way. C.S. Lewis um, says this best, and I've, I've, I've showed you this before. This is from his little book, The Problem of Pain. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. This is true. There's just something about going through suffering that, that we have this we're attuned. We're tuned in to what God is doing. And, and if your response to that, I get it. Some of you, your response might be like, Tim, nice try. Like I, you're, 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 you're trying to give God an out because he's backed into a corner. He's backed into a corner because he says he's all loving, he's all good, he's all knowing, and then all of this terrible stuff happens in this world. So, so good try, but this is just your attempt of poor Christians to help God out. And I get that. I understand that. But if you'll dig a little deeper than your cynicism on the surface, you'll find a unique connection between big, bad, unwanted circumstances and big, bold, are you kidding me kind of faith. It's not accidental. There is a relationship, an intentional connection between those two things that God has actually leveraged from from the very beginning. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, right? He, 
saw Jesus grow up. He was with him. Um, he, he heard all the wonderful things that his older brother was doing whenever he left home and started his ministry. But he actually didn't believe Jesus, his brother, was the Messiah until after the resurrection. And I've asked you this before. What would it take for your brother to prove to you that he was the Messiah? Right? You'd probably have to come back from the dead. But, but James, the brother of Jesus, he says this about sanctified surprises. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your what? Faith. That, that, that there's this connection. There's a relationship between the stuff that we deal with, the trials that we go through, and our faith. It actually produces something. It produces perseverance. And then he gives us, hey, Pay attention to this. Let perseverance finish its work. In other words, God's up to something. So, so let this finish its work. He's working in and through those sanctified surprises. So let them run their course so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I know some of you want to go, Lord, I am so mature right now. Like, can we shut it off? <laughs> like, I don't feel like I'm lacking anything, Right? And he's talking, about, he's talking about these things that happen to us. The, this is not about the trials that we bring on ourselves. This is not about the stupidity. This is not about disobedience. This is about the stuff that happens to us. He says overwhelming circumstances. They're not random. They're not meaningless. God wants to leverage those in your life in such a way that it, it affects your faith. I know you didn't sign up for it. I know you don't want to go through it. Neither would I. But I watched my brother beaten, broken, and buried. And then I watched what happened after that, and I haven't been able to get away from it since. Like, like it's the very centerpiece of our faith. It, it was an element of torture, <laughs> pain, suffering. That's the very centerpiece of our faith. If that's what Jesus went through, what makes us think we're going to be able to escape those things? That's the very center, the very circumstances that have the potential to turn us away from God, to curse God. If we allow him, he'll actually use, he'll leverage to do something in our lives in a way that he couldn't any other way. And it's not an excuse to make God more palatable. It's actually how he's worked from the very beginning. So James, what James says is great. We could spend our entire time on that. But I think the best illustration of this actually comes from a story in the life and the ministry of Jesus. My guess is all of you have heard this story before or heard about this story. As soon as you hear where we're going to be, you're going to want to rush to the end of the story. And I just want to ask you as much as possible to slow down. Don't rush to the end. Because if we rush to the end, oh, well, this is how it ends. You'll miss a whole bunch. So don't rush to the end. There's, there's a theological category in this story. For some of you, it'll be new. Um, it's an uncomfortable category for some of us. It probably produces more questions than answers, but it's crucial that we include this in, in, our, in our theology. So this is a situation, a story, where Jesus doesn't just simply leverage negative circumstances to grow somebody's faith. He actually creates negative circumstances 
in order to grow somebody's faith. So I want you to listen to this familiar story through that grid, okay? Through that filter that Jesus is actually producing this. He's actually doing this on purpose. So John 11 is where we're gonna be if you wanna follow along in your Bible or your mobile app, we'll throw this up on the screen as well. This is the only place in the Gospels where we read about, where we find the story of Lazarus, okay? Slow down, all right? Here we go. John 11, starting in verse one, says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. All three characters in this story are close friends of Jesus. He's eaten in their home. Um, they've supported his ministry financially. They're almost, they're almost like family. We get a clue about that in the next verse. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. The message wasn't, Lord, Lazarus is sick. It wasn't, Lord, your friend is sick. It wasn't, Lord, please come and look after our brother. It was, Lord, the one you love is sick. Jesus and Lazarus were so close that the sisters knew they could send this message to Jesus and he would know exactly who they were talking about. That's how close they are, right? Now, the other thing we need to remember here is Jesus has healed a lot of people at this point in his ministry. He's healed lots of strangers, um, lots of people he only met once, even people he's never met. Think about that. Just a couple weeks ago, we looked at a story, right? The centurion servant. Jesus heals him wirelessly. Never met that guy. Never met that gal. We don't even know, right? So Jesus has healed all kinds of people. So of course, Mary and Martha, Jesus' friends are going to ask him to come look after Lazarus. Look how Jesus responds to this news. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Here's a new category for some of you. Sickness, illness, disease, and death can all be used for God's glory. We don't like that kind, right? We don't want that kind. We want the kind of glory where the Chiefs win the Super Bowl and Patrick Mahomes is gets the MVP and he's in front of the camera. He's, I just want to give God glory for this MVP award. We like that kind of glory, right? We like the kind of glory where you go to the mall and every parking spot is full, which is impossible at our mall, okay? <laughs> but there's one right in the front. Oh, I just want to give God glory because it's a million degrees out and I'm right in there, <laughs> Right? We, we, don't, we don't think about illness and disease and sickness and death being able to be used for God's glory. I would actually make the case that the negative stuff is more potent than the post-Super Bowl stuff. It's more potent. What kind of faith does it take to give God glory when everything works out how you want it to? But when something really negative is introduced into our life, even to the point where it might take our life, and God says, I'm going to use that. I'm going to leverage that for my glory. That's a different level. And just in case, just in case we miss it the first time, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. John, the writer of this gospel, says you need to understand this isn't a family he met one day while he was walking around Bethany. 
This is beyond acquaintances. These are like family to them. He spent all kinds of time. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. (laughs) Jesus doesn't budge. He stayed right where he was. Didn't send a messenger. Didn't send a message. Didn't send a helogram. Nothing. Stays where he was two more days. One of the reasons I believe Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John actually record the events and life and ministry of Jesus is verses like this. Because if you're writing fiction to convince somebody that Jesus was who he said he was, you don't include that. You don't include stuff like this. If you're trying to make him out to be a hero, there's so much of this story you don't include. And I know how it ends. I know you know how it ends, but slow down. For two days, those sisters watch their brother slipping away. And Jesus does nothing. See, some of you, you know exactly how that feels. Because you've prayed, God, would you please? God, would you show up? God, would you heal? I'll do whatever you want. I'll show up to church. I'll start giving. I'll let my kid be missionary, whatever I got to do. But would you please? And God does nothing. At least it looks like he's doing nothing. After two days of nothing, two days of inactivity, two days of no word, two days of watching their brother actively die, two days of Mary watching Lazarus while Martha watches at the window for Jesus to come down the road. Two days later, then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Judea is the area where Bethany is. This is where Lazarus is, where Mary and Martha are. Judea has not been a good place for Jesus and his disciples. And we get a clue in verse eight. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Implication. Jesus, the Jews there tried to stone you, and we are going back? Because if they tried to stone you last time, what happens to us? That's the implication here, right? Ladies and gentlemen, the heroes of our faith. Right? The people we name our kids after. (laughs) The people we name cathedrals after. No great men of faith here. We're going to go like, do you heal that one dude wirelessly? Can we do that here too? And Jesus uses this as a teaching moment. We're not going to look at it right now. But he really confuses them. And when the disciples actually realize, no, we're actually doing this, whether we want to or not, Thomas speaks up. And Thomas is a little, he's got a little bit of Eeyore in him. Right? Well, we might as well go and die with him. That's what he says. Again, you don't, you don't include this stuff if you're trying to make stuff up to make these men out to be heroes. You don't include it. Verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Why do we need to go if he's sleeping? If he's sleeping, the the fever's broke. 
If he's sleeping, he's resting comfortably. Do we really have to go? Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, guys, Lazarus is dead. Wait a minute. How do you know? You know he's dead? Like, how do you, how do you know? He's, he's the one you love. You knew he was sick. And as soon as you found out, you told us to sit down and we've been here for two days. And now he's dead? It actually gets worse. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Okay, what? For our sake, what about Lazarus' sake? What about Mary and Martha's sake? For our sake, and, and, and again, take a step back. Jesus is looking at the guys that he's eventually going to hand this whole thing off to, and he's gone. And he's, 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 he's looking up, guys, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Take that all the way out to its furthest conclusion. I'm glad he died. I'm glad Mary and Martha went through what they went through over the last couple of days. I'm glad for the mystery surrounding this whole thing because what I have planned is so much bigger. I'm willing for someone I love to die. I'm willing for the hearts of people that I love to break for your sake. That's how important this is to me, guys. Why? For your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that, in Greek, it's one word. In English, it's two. It's called a henoclos. He's basically saying, here's the reason for what I just said. Here's the whole purpose behind all of this. Here's what's really going on. You want to know why I waited two days? You want to know why I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake? You want to know why? So that you may believe. This is about your belief. Wait, wait, wait. So there's pain, there's heartache, there's death going on in the lives of people you love, and you're telling us you're more interested in our faith than their healing? Yep. You would allow somebody you love to die so something would happen in our faith? Yep. Like, you let Mary and Martha watch their brother die just so we could have bigger faith? It's, it's that big of a deal to you? It's, that, it's worth that much to you? Yep. So that you may believe. See, one of the things I hear over and over and over again, and you've, you've asked this question, you've heard other people, the pain and suffering in the world, and it goes something like this. I can't believe in a God that. Fill in the blank. I can't believe in a God that would, you know, whatever, whatever that, and it's all the bad things they see in the world. It's all the bad things they see in their life. You need to know something. If you don't believe in a God that, or can't believe in a God like that, you don't believe in Jesus. Because right here in John 11 is the exact opposite of what so many people believe about God. I can't believe in a God that well. You don't believe in that God. You believe in a God that you've created in your own image because you don't think you would do that. Jesus says, guys, I set all this up. That's how important your faith growth is to me. Now, if that's not difficult enough, 
Skip forward to some of the conversation that he has with the sisters. Skip down, uh, verse 21. This is days later. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know, I believe, I trust, I'm confident that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Just, just think about the emotion of this moment. She's standing in front of the only person who could do anything to heal her brother. She's looking in the eyes of somebody who's healed complete strangers. People he'd never met before, all that stuff. And she says, if you would have shown up, my brother wouldn't have died. And as broken as I am right now, here's what I know. I have faith. I believe. I'm confident that God will give you whatever you ask. I don't know how all that works. I just believe that. And Jesus takes it in a completely different direction. He said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha reaches into her theological box that every Jew would know and says, I know, I know. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. I know what you're gonna say, Jesus. You'll see him again someday, Martha. So we say at every funeral. And Martha would be thinking, I'm gonna see Moses and Elijah and Abraham. My parents will be there. I know, I know, I know. It's not that I don't believe that but you could have kept this from happening. I know. And, and for those who just think Jesus was a really good teacher, really good teachers don't say what Jesus says next. Here's what he said. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and life. You're right, Martha. God will give me whatever I ask, but it's actually a little bit bigger than that. You're right. I could have done something about your brother, but it's actually much bigger than that. It's so much bigger and so much more important than your life or your brother's life or anybody else's life. I am personally the embodiment of resurrection and life. The only people who say things like that are liars, crazy people, or somebody who really is. I am the resurrection life. See, you don't make a statement like that without backing it up. This was what this was all about. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And he makes a claim he never made before. He says, you're looking at resurrection. You're looking at life right now. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never Die. And then the question that echoes throughout generations Do you believe this? Do you believe that? See, the whole thing was about Mary and Martha and the disciples and people who showed up to a building at 5400 Southwest Huntoon in Topeka, Kansas on August 27th, 2023. This question is for you. This question is for me. Do you believe this? The whole thing was about faith, confidence, trust in Jesus, and the lengths he'll go to grow it. And you say, Tim, I'm not comfortable with that. Join the club. It starts right behind me. <laughs> I'm not real comfortable with that either because I don't know what that looks like in my life. I don't know what that looks like in my kid's life. I don't know what that looks like in my grandkids' life. But that's what Jesus said. And that's who Jesus 
is. I don't know of any higher form of faith than to say, even when there's very little evidence to hang my trust on, even when the evidence actually points in the opposite direction of trust, I still trust you. I don't know of any deeper kind of faith than that. But I'm just going to go with the one who died and three, late, three days later said to death. <laughs> and you know the rest of the story. They take Jesus to the tomb. I love the King James version of this. He t- tells them to move the stone and then one of the sisters is like, but Lord, he stinketh. I love it so much. <laughs> right? He's been there for four days. Lord, he stinketh. I bet he did, right? But Jesus calls the Lazarus, Lazarus comes out, and if there was ever any doubt in their mind that he was, in fact, the resurrection and the life, all their doubts, all of their questions, all the loopholes that they tried to go through in that moment disappeared. And then here's how the story ends. We, we kind of miss this part because depending on how your, your Bible is broken up, this kind of starts the next section. But here's how the story ends. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in put their faith in, their confidence in, their trust in him. So Jesus doesn't simply leverage a sanctified surprise. He created one. He created one in order to show the connection between those circumstances in our life that are outside of our control and our faith. And I know some of you are thinking of people right now. It's oftentimes circumstances like John 11 that cause people to turn away from God. We've all heard the story of the the 12-year-old boy who loses his mom at 12 and then can't believe in a God that that would allow that. We all know the husband who loses his wife right when they become empty nesters. And all of those plans, all of those dreams are dashed. We all know those stories. And and there's part of those stories where even I will go, yeah, I kind of get that. I don't know that I wouldn't respond the same way. But then you see the stories of people who go through something like that or worse, and their faith is just rock solid. Some of it, 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 it just didn't maintain. It flourishes. They face some of the most unfair life circumstances, maybe even on their deathbed, and yet they still give God glory. How is that possible? Why does that happen for some people? but it doesn't happen for others. I think there's lots of reasons for that. But I think one of the reasons for that, the difference is when when some people do something differently than others. And I think one of those differences, when they view pain and tragedy, not as the end of the story, but as part of the story. It's not the only part of their story. It's, It's just a part of their story. And if I'm reading my Bible correctly, it's not how the story ends, right? Think of, think of your favorite story, your favorite movie, your favorite book, okay? More than likely has characters in this story, and those characters face some kind of conflict. It's an internal conflict, it's an external conflict, right? Every good story has to have a setting, a character, and conflict, Think about that. What would happen if that story ended in the midst of that conflict? 
What if, what if Star Wars ended at Empire Strikes Back? What if, what if you know, Frodo and Sam turn back before they ever get to Mount Doom because it was too hard? What if, what if Odysseus never gets home, never makes it home? Like, what if we didn't get Avengers Endgame? It would feel completely and totally helpless. But that's not how the stories end. They don't end there. The conflict, the pain, the suffering those characters face, it's just a part of the story. And yeah, if we think that pain and suffering has the last word in our lives, we'll probably succumb to it. Our faith will more than likely crumble. But if it's just a part of the story, if it's just a piece of it, if it's just a chapter, if it's just one section, God will actually use that to build our faith and we might actually consider that pure joy when we face trials of all kinds because we realize it's producing something in us that nothing else can. Philip Yancey, one of my favorite authors, Philip Yancey said, there's only one thing worse than disappointment with God, and that's disappointment without God. And, and all of us at one point or another are going to be disappointed with God. The question is, how will we respond? Will we see it as the end of our faith story, or will we see it as part of it? A part that God uses to build our faith, your family's faith, your kids' faith in ways that you couldn't otherwise. See, when we feel like God is doing something to us, that's one response. When we see that God is doing something in us so that he can do something through us, that's a different story. And you and I have a choice. We have a choice. Is he in fact the resurrection and the life? Is that who Jesus is? Then when we face pain, when we face suffering, when we face death, that's not the end of the story. It's just a part of the story. So we're going to sing a song. We've, we've, we've dealt with truth in our heads for the last 30 minutes. I want us to think about and process truth with our hearts for the last five. And sometimes we just need music to help us with that. We're going to sing a new to us song. Maybe some of you know this song. Some of you might not. Some of you, you just need to, to let this song be sung over you because of where you're at. But I want you to hear the bridge to the song because it speaks so well to what we just heard from John 11. Okay? Here's the bridge of the song. It says, I know how the story ends. We will be with you again. You're my savior, my defense. No more fear in life or death. I know how the story ends. We will be with you again. That's Revelation 21. You're my savior, my defense. No more fear in life or death. There is a filter. There is a grid. There is a way that we can face and look at and deal with pain and suffering, even death in our lives, that this can be true. We know how the story ends. So if you want to, just stand with us. Let's sing this. Some of you, you just need to sit and allow this to be sung over you. That's perfectly fine as well. We're going to wrap up by singing together, and then I'll come back up and pray, and we'll get out of here, all right? Let's sing this. So, Father, would you uh, 
um, impress this, <laughs> would you imprint it on our hearts? So when we leave this place and the emotion of the moment is gone, go back into real life, we face the things that have the tendency or can potentially take out our faith. God, would you, would you just remind us over and over and over and over again, this isn't how our story is. There's coming a day, there's coming a moment when we'll be with you again. And in the meantime, we'll trust. We'll put our confidence in, we'll put our hope in you. God, I pray for those especially today in this moment that walk through those doors today and they're in the midst of a battle. God, I pray through your spirit, through the encouragement of your people, and more, more than that, through encouragement of your word, they would walk away today knowing that you're with them, you're for them, you're fighting on their behalf, and they can trust in you and wait patiently for you to come through. I ask this, I pray this, in the name of the one that made it available for us, and the one who did it for us, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for hanging with us today. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.